Several months ago, some of the men of our church went on a prayer retreat. And uh, if you if you weren't able to go, guys, I'm going to tell you, you missed a fantastic time. Uh, ladies, since you weren't invited, I will just go ahead and put your minds at ease. We didn't talk about y'all all that much, so it should be good. Um, but we, we did all the things that men do on a prayer retreat. We, we fished, and David Morrison lied about fishing. Um, John Wayne Bensko, he ate, honestly, um, the, the amount of a small cow while we were there. And we had a great time. But when we, when we finally got around to doing our devotional time and our prayer time, uh, I was leading kind of a, a time of devotion. And I asked the men a hypothetical question. And I want to start by asking it to you. It goes like this. Let's say that you are a barber. And one day while you are cutting hair, you're, you're sharpening your straight razor, getting ready to, to do your work for the day. And into your shop comes a man who is the most wanted criminal in the country. He has on his head a bounty, wanted, dead or alive. When he sits down in your chair and you take your straight razor to shave his neck, what do you do? Well, I'm going to tell you, you need to pray for the men of your church because they were going to take the money and run. That's what they were going to do. <laughs> but that is more than a hypothetical story. That actually happened. The barber's name was Peter. Peter the Barber, Master Peter they called him. And the criminal was none other than the famous preacher and Protestant reformer Martin Luther, who was wanted by church and state for preaching doctrine that was contrary to Roman Catholicism. And he came in and he sat down in Peter's chair wanted. And instead of doing what the men of our church would have done, and uh, Peter the Barber said, Dr. Luther, can you teach me how to pray? Can you teach me how to pray? Because Peter was just an ordinary Christian, and he felt like many of us do sometimes, that our prayers aren't very effective, that our prayers aren't very useful, that we don't know what to say when we pray. And here he had the opportunity to pick the mind of this great theological thinker, Can he, and he said, can you teach me how to pray? Can you show me how to pray the way that you do? Martin Luther was famous for getting up and praying for three hours every morning, and he said, can you teach me to do that? So today, do you ever feel like Luther's barber? Do you ever feel like you just don't know how to pray? Like sometimes you get down to pray and, and your words never make it past the ceiling. Maybe you feel like your prayers aren't answered. Maybe you know that you're supposed to talk to God, but you just don't know what to say to Him. And it's awkward and it's weird. Some of y'all pray, I know, and you get just this terrible case of spiritual ADHD when you pray. You get down to pray and you're serious about praying and five minutes later you're trying to remember, that I DVR the ball game? Did we, did we pay the gas bill this month? I need to go check on that. And the next thing you know, you're doing chores instead of praying. You don't even realize what happened. If you're here today and you're tired of, of a bland prayer life and a stale prayer life, if you're pre- tired of praying those superficial prayers that most of us just use to get by, we are going to look at a passage of Scripture today where we get to sit with Jesus Himself and say, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray the way that you pray. And we have in the text we're going to read today, we have a vocabulary that we can use when we pray directly from the lips of Jesus. We have directly from His own mind the thoughts that should shape our prayers as He gives us the best prayer ever. And it's in Matthew chapter 6. We'll begin reading in verse number 9. Matthew chapter 6. Verse number 9, this is a passage of Scripture most all of you know, many of you have memorized. 
We call it the Lord's Prayer, but we're going to read it together today. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 9. My usual, usual regular custom in pulpit ministry is to preach from uh, the English Standard Version of the Holy Scriptures. But like a lot of y'all, I memorized this in the King James. And the Lord's Prayer is just not right in anything else. So we're going to read it the way I memorized it. Matthew 6, 9, Jesus says, After this manner, therefore pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Then Jesus says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You can be seated. And I believe the Lord is really going to help us in this time together today. It would only make sense for us to call the Sermon on the Mount the best sermon ever preached. If during the course of this sermon, Jesus says something that helps us to connect with God in a more real, more authentic, deeper way. And really, that's what he's doing here in this section of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter number 6. And if you go back to look at the passage that we read last week, Jesus is saying to us, listen, my followers do not try and connect with God in an ostentatious way. He said, my followers do not try and connect with God in the typical hypocritical religious fashion. But my followers know through me they can call upon God as their father and they come to me on the basis of a relationship with God. So what Jesus is showing us in this passage of Scripture really is how to connect with God through Him. And so he's going to say part of that connection with God, of course, involves prayer. And he says in verse number 9, right up front, he says, when you pray, say this, after this manner, this is how you pray. But it's important for us to understand, before we look in how Jesus tells us to pray, it's important for us to understand that the Lord's Prayer comes in the context of how not to pray. We saw those verses last week, if you were here, where Jesus says, do not pray like the hypocrites, do not pray like the Gentiles. This is how you don't do it. Now that you know how not to do it, this is how you go about actually doing it. So, I think it would be important for many of you to realize today, and for some of you to write down and to meditate on this, that the reason you do not know how to pray is because you learn how to pray from religious people. You learn how to pray from religious people and not Jesus, and that's why you have no clue what you're doing when you pray. So, what are you talking about? Look at what Jesus says in those verses. He says, do not pray like the hypocrites. Why? Because the hypocrites pray in the synagogues and the street corners, loving to be seen of men. He said, don't pray like the Gentiles, because the Gentiles heap together these empty words, these vain repetitions, thinking that because they said a lot, God is going to hear them. Jesus says to us in those verses three things about how religious people pray that will destroy our ability to pray from the beginning. First, he says that religious people use God, use God for their own benefit by getting the applause of other people. He said, hypocritical people, religious people, don't care about connecting with God. They just care about the applause of other people. Second, he said, those Gentile people, when those kind of religious people pray, he said, they believe God really is distant from them. God doesn't care about them. God doesn't want to hear them. So they think they have to pray longer and pray louder and pray better and convince God to actually care about their problems. That's how some of y'all pray. Which ultimately what Jesus is saying is this, and this is third. He says that religious people pray... Not because they care about God, but because they want to manipulate God to get what their hearts actually want, 
which is not God. In this case, it's the applause of other people. But Jesus says religious people always use God for the approval of others. Religious people are convinced God really doesn't care about them. And religious people are always trying to manipulate God to get what their heart is really after, which is never God. That's why religious people can't pray. So Jesus says in these verses, don't pray that way. But here's how you do it. After this manner, therefore, pray you. So how does Jesus want us to pray? Well, I want to be honest with you today. I want to be honest with you. And that is, for many years, um, I felt like Martin Luther's barber. I felt like I had no idea how to pray. I I knew how to preach. I mean, I guess, you know. Uh, I knew how to stand in front of people and teach the Bible. knew how to lead Sunday school classes. knew how to work in the church nursery. Man, I can change diapers and give bottles just like anybody else can. And knew how to do all these different things. But when it came to prayer, man, I felt like I really had no idea what I was doing. And then somehow it dawned on me. One day that Jesus actually says in Matthew 6, 9, this is how you do it. Like it's amazing to me the amount of Christians who struggle to pray and they never realize that Jesus actually says, here's how you do it. This is exactly how you go about it. And when I realized that, when it dawned on me that Jesus is actually teaching me how to pray, then I felt like for the first time I actually could pray in a way that made sense. I could pray in a way that my prayers actually had content to them. I felt like for the first time in my life, Paul's command in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 to pray without ceasing, that command actually made sense. Here's how you can actually pray. It stunned me when I realized that I had missed this. And some of you have never seen this. You've been taking your cues about prayer from religious people. You're parroting what you've heard other people pray. When Jesus says to you, no, pray like this. Here's how you pray. So I believe that you can and should pray the Lord's Prayer. In fact, I believe that the Lord's Prayer, this passage of Scripture, I believe that it is the most important and should be the very, very first passage of Scripture that every Christian memorizes. Absolutely. Now, the good news is that you've already got like 90% of this uh, already memorized just kind of by osmosis. You know, just by being around church, you've picked up on a lot of this. But if you memorize these verses and take them with you when you pray, what you'll find out is that this is a prayer that you can pray about any situation, about any prayer request, because this prayer touches on all of them. Because what Jesus is saying here, He's giving us a prayer that ministers to us on our best days, on our worst days. Jesus offers us a prayer in these verses that will walk with us through every valley, stand with us on every mountain, fight with us in every battle. Jesus says that when it comes to this prayer, you can use it anytime you sin, anytime you hurt, anytime you need direction. Jesus said, no matter what you're praying about, here's how you do it. Not that the Lord's Prayer becomes this, just this kind of rote, memorized thing. You know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus says, no, not, if you've done that, you're not praying. But Jesus says, I'm offering you here in these verses the skeletal structure of what a prayer looks like. And he says, what you should be doing when you pray is adding the meat to that structure. Now, evidently, folks, at this point in the message, it's clear that my coat is killing this microphone. So the coat's going to go. Praise the Lord. So, Jesus says, here, in this prayer, He said, here's the complete lexicon of Christian thought. Here is the Christian's full experience in a few simple words. He said, here is a passage of Scripture, a prayer for you to pray that will take you 20 seconds to pray it straight through. But He said, it'll it'll take you a lifetime to master. This is the best prayer ever prayed. And I hope that when you leave here today, you leave here letting this prayer shape the way you pray. So how does Jesus want us to pray? Well, let's just look at it the way He gives it to us. He says, when you pray, first, you should pray to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, when you pray, you should call upon God as your Father. Now, if you've been in church for like 30 good seconds, 
There's nothing revolutionary or shocking about calling God your Father when you pray, is there? And most of us do it every time we pray and never think about what it means. But again, in the context of Matthew 6, this is a remarkable idea. Because the people who were praying these religious hypocritical prayers, they were people who thought they could only connect with God on the basis of their performance. Jesus says, God does not hear you because of how good you are. He says, God does not hear you because of how good your prayers are. He says He hears you because you have a relationship with Him where He cares about you the way a father cares about a child. Now, where does that relationship with God come from? It comes from our union by faith with Christ, who is God's Son. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans 8 and verse number 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Paul says that the moment we put our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, His Spirit that calls upon God as His Father comes into our heart and so that we have the right and the access and the welcome to call God our Father in exactly the same way that Jesus does. God is not waiting for me to pray 15 minutes instead of 10 minutes to hear me. He's not waiting for me to string together the right vocabulary. He's just waiting for me to come into His presence the way His Son does and say, Father, I need you. So what Jesus is saying is that when we pray about our sins, and some of y'all got sin you need to pray about. And when you come to God and you feel dirty and you need forgiveness, He says in that moment you are as hurt as Jesus Himself is. When your life has become a mess and you have no idea what direction to take or where to go or what decision is best, you can call upon God your Father knowing that He is giving you as much attention as He is giving the Lord Jesus. When you make the wrong decisions and when you blow it and you need help in life, come to God as your Father and He will answer you and hear you. When you pray about a burden, when you pray about guidance, when you need help, pray as if you were calling on God as your Father. And what has Jesus said about our Father? What did He say in the immediate verse? This is the same breath He gives us the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 8. He says, your Father knows what you have need of before you ask Him. He will say later in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? When I pray about any situation, any situation, I can always come to God and say, God, you are my Father. And I know you hear me. And I know you will answer me and give me what's best out of a good Father's heart. And Lord, I need forgiveness, but you're still my Father. Because there's nothing that I could do to make you love me more, and there's nothing I could do to make you love me less. And God, even if I blow it as I make this decision, at the end of it, God, you're still going to be my Father. God, I need this answer. I need this provision. And Lord, I trust you with it because you are my Father. So Jesus says, pray to God as your Father. Then He says, when you pray, you should remember that your Father is in heaven. Jesus wants us to remember that God is our Father... But you can't forget that your Father is God. He said, remember that He's the all-knowing, all-loving, powerful, sovereign, good, perfect, holy God of the universe. 
So who is this God who invites us near? Just listen to one passage of Scripture from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 12. It asks, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand and marked off the heavens with His span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord or what man shows Him His counsel? Whom did He consult and who made Him understand? Who taught Him the path of justice and taught Him knowledge and showed Him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop of a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. What Jesus is saying is that when you pray, you need to be reminding yourself of who God is. As I meditated on that this week, it's kind of dawned on me that no matter what form our prayers take, that really most of what we need to be doing and what we should be doing is reminding ourselves of who God is. Because when we start to forget his love, what happens to us? We start to question it. We start to feel like He's absent. We fall into despair. We forget God's power and we panic. We forget that God is in control and we think the world is coming apart at the seams. We forget God's goodness and we lose faith. We forget His grace and we doubt His forgiveness, just as Sister Kelly talked about a minute ago. What are we doing when we're praying? We need to be reminding ourselves of who God is. So remember, every time you pray, you are praying to your Father, but you are praying to your Father who is God. That means that you will never pray about a problem so complex he cannot understand it. You will never pray about a decision so difficult his wisdom cannot unravel it. You will never pray about a hurt that is so real that he cannot heal it. And thank God you will never pray about a sin so big his grace cannot forgive it. Because when you are praying to your Father, you are praying to the God of heaven. I remember several years ago, I guess four or five now, Amy and I had made a move in ministry. We felt like this was God's will for us to make this decision and go in this direction. And it put us, even though we obeyed God, it put us in a pretty tight financial situation. The kind where people are knocking on your door and backing into your yard with flatbed pickups. You know, bad financial situation. And we had an immediate need. And I can't remember what the number was now. We needed, I'm going to say, $2,500 at that time, and we just didn't have it. So I did what many of you have had to do at times. I picked up the phone and called Dad and said, Dad, here's the situation. Here's the need. If you provide this, I will pay you back. And my dad did, and eventually we paid him back. Um, But in that moment, my father had both the desire to help me and the ability to help me. So he helped me. Now, he could have said, and I would have understood if he said, look, I I love you, I wish I could help you, but I just don't have it and I can't do it. He may have had the desire, but he may not have had the ability. When Jesus calls us to pray upon God as our Father, He is saying, as your Father, God always has the desire to help you. But as God, He always has the means and the ability to help you. Pray to God as your Father. But then Jesus says this, as you pray through the Lord's Prayer, every time you pray about any situation, you should be praying for God's name to be hallowed. He says, hallowed be thy name at the end of verse number 9. Jesus wants us to see before we ask for anything else, before we come to Him with our burdens, our hurts, our sins, our problems, that the primary use of prayer is to glorify God. The primary purpose of prayer is to bring glory to God. Most of us don't think about prayer that way, do we? We think about prayer like a lottery ticket. We take 10 seconds and scratch it off and we hope we get rich. And that's the end of it. Jesus says, no, when you pray, God has used this as a tool to bring glory to himself in your life. All of our prayers should be God-centered. They should be God-focused. They, of course, should be God-directed. 
And we should be praying, no matter what we're saying, we should be praying with a heart that says, God, show yourself to me and show yourself as God through me. Now, y'all know, most of you know, I grew up in the foothills of western North Carolina. And in the mountains of North Carolina, when people say the Lord's Prayer, they say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. You know what hollow is, right? Now, a hollow is not a holler. Holler can be either what you do to your kids or a place where you make moonshine. But hollow is to empty something out. Jesus doesn't say pray that God's name be hollowed. Pray that it be hallowed. Pray not that it would be emptied of its power, but pray that it would be seen in all of its glory. Pray that God's name would be seen, that His nature would be known, that His character would be made manifest for all people to see through whatever it is you're praying about. You see, when we pray, when we pray, we are reminding ourselves, we should be reminding ourselves, that the only reason God is worth praying to is because He's not like us. Okay? He has power you don't have. You know that. He has grace that you need. He has resources that you don't have access to. He has wisdom that you will never have. He has all of those things. God is not like you. That's why you pray to Him. And what we're saying when we say, Hallowed be thy name, we're saying, God, prove just how different you are. Prove yourself to be God. Prove that you really are glorious. Lord, in situations where I can't control them, in situations that I don't understand, in situations I can't fix or I can't unravel, show me your faithfulness. God, show me your power. God, let me just see through the curtains of heaven right now and see what you're doing. Let me see your wisdom and let other people see it and how you answer this prayer. God, show me your fingerprints all over my life. Then Jesus says, verse 10, we should pray for God's kingdom to come. Now, this may be the broadest request in the Lord's Prayer, because it touches really on things that are happening in our own hearts, and then it stretches out into the future of God's work in the world. And I think that to really understand how Jesus is teaching us to pray, we have to see this request, three words, Thy kingdom come. We have to take that request uh, really by, by looking inward at ourselves, looking around at other people, and then looking ahead to God's plans for the world. So there are three ways we should be praying this one phrase, thy kingdom come. First, we should be praying it personally. Jesus is king. And if you are a child of God, you have bowed to him as your king. And you have said, Jesus, I want you to rule and reign in my life. But folks, you are fooling yourself if you think there aren't pockets of resistance inside of you that are resistant to his reign. There are places inside of you that are waging a guerrilla warfare campaign that are doing everything they can to give you control and to keep all authority from going to Jesus. So when I'm praying about any situation in life, the guy that I work for that I can't stand, the family crisis that is stressing me out of my mind, the financial drama when there is not enough money to meet all the days of the month, I should be praying in those times, Lord, use these situations to advance the reign of Jesus in my heart. You're showing me my need of patience. You're showing me, Lord, how frustrated I can get. I've been praying about some things in my own life and as I've thought about this passage of Scripture, the Lord has really shown me my tendency to rely on myself and not on Him. And I'm praying, Lord, advance Your kingdom in my heart. But there are also people around us in everything we pray about who are affected by our lives, and they need to bow to Jesus as their king, right? This is an evangelistic prayer. Lord, however you answer this prayer, whatever you do, whatever Your will might be, Lord, do it so that people would see Jesus as king. 
And they would bow to Him as their Lord. That's a tough way to pray, folks. It's contrary to what most of us ask for. Because most of us, we're saying, Lord, make my life good and make my life happy and make my life easy. But what if God does not give us the things we pray for and the things we ask for specifically just so He can use us to advance the kingdom of God? What if, what if I can do more for the kingdom of God in a hospital bed than I can preaching in this pulpit? Am I really that? Now, y'all better be praying that's not right, all right? But are we really praying? Do we really think God, in all things, advance your kingdom? But this is also really what we would call prophetic prayer. This is saying, Lord, come establish your kingdom in the world. You remember the end of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 22, verse number 20. The, the Bible says, he who testifies these things says, surely I'm coming soon. And then John replies, amen, come Lord Jesus. That's how Jesus is teaching us to pray here. That God would come and establish his reign in the world. That the kingdom of Jesus would come fully. That everything Jesus purchased and inaugurated in his first coming would be fully consummated in his second coming. I'm going to be real with y'all. I don't ever pray for that. I don't. I'm just telling you I don't. I'm praying about stuff in my life, stuff in your life, stuff in the church, all this other stuff. But I, 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 the Lord showed me I never pray this way. And He's convicted me. And understand, this is not, this is not a prayer for the rapture. Okay? This is not a prayer for the citizens of the kingdom to leave. This is a prayer for the king to come. Okay? This is a prayer for Jesus to reign. For Him to put down His enemies. To show His authority. To establish justice in the nations. To lift the curse that is over the world. This is what Jesus has taught us to pray for. And I've been convicted. I never pray that way. So I've been doubling up on my efforts. Lord, send Your kingdom. And so think about that. That God would use my prayers. And God would use your prayers. As, as feeble and as small as they are. He would use our little prayers. And make them as big as His purposes for the future of this world. That's incredible, isn't it? Jesus says, thy kingdom come. He says, you should be praying for God's will to be done. Just here in our lives, as it is in heaven. And sometimes, not to, not to you know, mess with the word of God by any means, but sometimes I'll kind of mix up Jesus' words here, and I'll pray for God's will to be done in my family, as it is in heaven. I'll pray for God's will to be done at Sharon Heights, as it is in heaven. I'll pray for God's will to be done everywhere, just as it is in heaven. Think about how they're doing the will of God in heaven right now. They're doing it with joy. There's nothing that makes them happier than obeying God and pleasing Him. They're doing it with excitement, with passion, and they're doing it with perfect understanding. They know exactly what's expected of them, and they do it with joy. So I hope you understand. And you've heard this, but many of you may not believe it. Prayer is not about your will being done in heaven. Prayer is about God's will being done in you. And so when Jesus says to us, Pray for God's will to be done in earth. This is a prayer of faith that comes to God and says, Lord, I know you will accomplish your purposes. I know you will do your will. But Lord, I don't understand why your will is taking me in this direction. I don't understand why your will seems to be hurting me. I can't understand why you're leading me how you're leading me. Lord, help me to trust you. Help me to trust you. It's the prayer Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but thine be done. This is... Really a prayer for God to give us help with what we know. See, what Christians do all the time is we want to pray for God to show us His will, right? Show me your will, show me your will. That's not what Jesus says here, is it? Jesus does not say, you should pray, thy will be known. Jesus says, you should pray, thy will be done. 
See, what many of y'all don't realize is that the biggest problems you got is not in figuring out what you don't know. The biggest problem y'all got is what is doing what you do know. And we need to come to God and say, Lord, I know what you expect of me and my family. I know how you expect me to work my job. I know how you expect me to serve at my church. I know you expect me to be gracious and generous and forgiveness, forgiving and patient. I know the kind of person you want me to be. Help me. God, please help me. That's what Jesus is praying here. And there are times when we have to come to God and say, Lord, show me your will. What's the next step to take? What do you do in those situations? You pray about it. You do the best you can. And you trust your father. And trust that he's going to have his will. Because he's promised, he's promised that he will, he will accomplish his purposes. He will advance his kingdom. And verse 11, he will give you your daily bread. Jesus says to pray for your daily bread. Now, after praying for God's name to be hallowed, after praying for God's kingdom to come, after praying for God's will to be done, Jesus finally gets down to the food on our table. Let you know that he thinks differently about prayer than we do, doesn't it? Pray for our daily bread. Bread is a necessity. It's simple. It's not extravagant. It's not elaborate. It's ordinary stuff. The ordinary stuff of life. Jesus says you can pray that God would give you every day everything that you need. And God, as a good Father, will give you every single thing that you need. And He will provide for you. I hope you know that. The Bible says in Psalm 37, verse number 25, David writes and says, I've been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Paul says that God will supply all of our needs according to His riches in glory. In Philippians Chapter number four, God will take care of every single thing that you need. But all of you have lived long enough to know God is not going to give you every single thing that you want. Now, why is that? Why doesn't God give us everything that we want? It's simple, because He's our Father and He knows best. And He's not going to satisfy every self-indulgent demand and temper tantrum we have, saying, Lord, we've got to have this or we are going to die without it. And God says, like a good father talking to a small child, no, you don't. I know best. Trust me, there are some things we could pray for and demand and expect God to give us that would ruin us. Just with your, like with your own kids. They want things and demand things. It would kill them if you gave it to them. I wanted a Ferrari when I turned 16. I didn't get it for a lot of reasons. One of which is it would have killed me. And that's the way we have to think about prayer. But I think, think sometimes uh, we, we, if, we could, if we could just objectively step back from our own prayers and watch us pray... Without all the investment and, and the pain and the turmoil and the emotions of life, I think we would look at our prayers and it would look a lot like that kid pitching a fit in the aisle at Walmart because his mama won't buy me Skittles. <laughs> you don't love me. You never give me anything I want. I don't know why you treat me this way. And that mama knows, listen, we just came back from the dentist and you had six cavities. And we're going home to eat supper and this is going to ruin your supper. And you're a brat and you don't need everything you want anyway. And so that mother knows best, and so she does not give that baby any Skittles. Now listen, God ain't always going to give you everything you want. And sometimes the reason God doesn't give you what you want is not because He doesn't love you, but because of how much He loves you. He's not trying to fill you up with junk food and poison. He's trying to take care of you like a good father. So some of you need to quit praying for Skittles and start praying for bread the way Jesus taught you. Now, but notice this, notice this. Two things real quick about our daily bread, and then we'll move on. First, Jesus says it is daily bread. Daily bread. That means that I'm not relying on the moldy blessings of yesterday. That means I'm not disappointed because I didn't get what I thought I needed yesterday. And I'm not living in anxiety about the future, wondering if God is going to provide for me five years from now. I'm praying for today. Then Jesus says this is daily bread. I'm thankful that it's bread for two big reasons. And this is going to help y'all. I'm telling you, it's going to help you. Number one, I'm thankful Jesus said bread because it is God's will for you to eat carbs. 
That's the book, folks. That's the book. But here, here's the greater point. Here's the greater point. For you to eat daily bread, if you go out to lunch or whatever, and they put rolls on your table or you have biscuits or whatever, for you to eat that bread today, I want you to think about what happened months ago. How there was a farmer that planted a seed in a field. And there was rain that fell on that seed and sunshine that grew. There was a, a, an international harvester that, that plugged through that field, collected that wheat. They shipped that off to somewhere where they processed it. Then they turned that either into flour or they turned it into bread. God had been working for months, maybe even years, to put bread on your table today. Jesus says, when you pray for your daily bread, know that your father has been working months ago to take care of needs that you had today that you didn't have any idea about. That's how our God works in response to our prayers. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 65, 24, quoting the Lord, he said, before they call, I will answer. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. God is already working today to provide for your daily bread six months from now. Trust Him. Then Jesus finishes in verse number 12, 13, then really 14 and 15, by talking about our sins and how sin impacts us. We, we are sinners and we have to pray about that. Other people are sinners and you better believe we need to pray about that. We live in a world marked by sin. We live in a world populated by sinners. Sin is part of our own Human nature and sin is going to damage our relationship with God and our relationship to other people. Jesus knows that when we pray. So he says, when you pray, ask God to forgive you your debts. I want you just to think for a moment theologically and think about the grace that is on display in this verse of Scripture. Because this is one part of the Lord's prayer that the Lord Jesus really could not say himself. Because he had no debts that needed to be forgiven. He never had to go to his father and say, Father, forgive me. But he cares enough about us to say, y'all are going to need this. And here's what you do. He said, when you've sinned, when you've blown it, when you feel dirty, when you know you've displeased God, when you've disappointed yourself, he said, here's what you do. You don't let that sin keep you out of God's presence. He said, you drag that sin kicking and screaming into God's presence. And you say, God, I messed up. God, here's where I was wrong. God, forgive me. Friend, I want you to understand today. That the best thing you can do with your sin is pray about it. The best thing you can do is bring it to the Lord and say, Lord, I blew it. I, I, I messed up. Forgive me. And you, knew, you know what you'll find? You will find grace to forgive you every single time you come. You will find forgiveness and mercy and a loving Father who welcomes you in and says, don't worry about it. I've been taking, I've taken care of it. John wrote in 1 John 2, 1 through 3, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Somebody representing us. Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Claim the objective promises of the gospel every time you pray about your sin. Come to Him and be honest. Say, Lord, I don't feel forgiven, but I am forgiven. As surely as Christ died, as surely as He rose again... I am forgiven. So when the devil lies to you and tells you how miserable you are and how sorry you are, the best thing you can do is agree with him. Say, that's right, devil, I'm a worse sinner than I'll ever know. But I have a more faithful and a more loving and a more gracious Savior than you understand, friends. Many times in life we see it and we don't feel forgiven and we wonder, did God hear us? Does He care? The cross always answers back, yes, our God is rich to forgive. 
And you can see it in the way Jesus talks about sin here because He talks about sin as debt. Now, I'm glad He talks about sin as debt because debt's a subject we understand. Amen. We, we go in debt to go to school just so we can get the bigger job to get the greater mortgage on the larger house. I mean, you know, debt makes the world go around. Jesus describes sin as debt because sin is taking from God what belongs to Him and leaving us with an obligation and a debt to Him. But because of the cross where Jesus paid all of our debts, every child of God who sins, they can come and they can make withdrawals from the account of grace over and over again and never drain it dry. That's what Jesus is saying. But He's also saying that if we have been forgiven like that, we should be praying to forgive other people like that. That if God really has forgiven me, then when other people sin against me, I should be able to go into that same account of grace and make withdrawal after withdrawal after withdrawal to forgive those that have hurt me. Are you praying for those people that have hurt you? Maybe why Jesus goes immediately into verse 13 when He says, And lead us not in temptation. Because He knows there's no greater opportunity for you to sin than when somebody sins against you. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But in everything, we're praying, Lord, I see my weaknesses. I see my failures. I know my propensity to mess up in this area. Lord, I know how I'm going to blow it. This morning in Sunday school, our lesson was about David and Bathsheba. You think David prayed, Lord, lead me not in temptation before he walked out and saw Bathsheba taking a bath on her roof? He should have. Because what will happen is this. If we're praying, Lord, lead me not into temptation then we're not going to have to be praying, Lord, forgive us our debts as much. Lord, keep me from sin. Lord, I know, I know how I lose my temper. Protect me from that. Lord, I know how my eyes wander into lust. Protect me from that. Lord, I know my tendency to pride and, and how I want to promote myself to be celebrated by others. Lord, please, by all means, protect me from that. Jesus has prayed that the Lord would keep you from temptation. Not because He tempts you, but basically you don't need any help finding temptation. And pray that He would hedge you in and keep you out of that junk. Jesus' prayer ends with a familiar doxology. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. A doxology is simply a word, a phrase. And, and, and these words of praise Jesus uses, Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. They would have been familiar to the Jews. They were out of the Old Testament. But uh, they're also familiar to us. The Lord's Prayer is probably the most repeated portion of text, of literature, the most repeated prayer. Uh, these, are the most, these words have been repeated by human beings more time than any other words in the history of the world. And it's no wonder why, is it? Because they touch upon our deepest needs. They touch upon our deepest hurts. They come to our, our greatest longings. They come to us in every day, in every way. And I wonder, as Jesus finishes saying, Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, is that what you want from your life? Do you want to be part of God's kingdom? Some of you today aren't because Jesus isn't your king. But you can come to him today. And the Bible says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And you may have never prayed a prayer in your life. Maybe you have. I'm sure most of us have. But if you'd come and say something like, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I need salvation through Jesus. And if you come with a heart of repentance that's leaving beside, leaving aside your sin and trusting in him, he'll save you. He'll save you. Not because your prayer is so great, but because He is. But for those of you that are part of the kingdom, are you praying, God, use my life to advance the kingdom. Do your will. Some of you are dealing with the needs right now, and it seems really like you have a specific need. As far as you can tell, you really need God to do X, Y, Z in your life. 
Have you thought about coming and just saying, Lord, I trust you to provide for me my daily bread. Today, I trust you to give me what I need to do what you want me to do and to be what you want me to be. Some of you have sin. And it's been a long time because of your sin. It's been a long time since you've really prayed about much of anything. It would be a good day for you to come and say, Lord, forgive my debts. But what I would like for all of you to do is I would like for all of you just to say, Lord, my prayer life ain't much. You know what he's going to say? Yeah, I know. It's not like it's a secret. And work hard every day in every situation to take this prayer, whatever you're praying about, and go through it the way Jesus said. And let it fill your mind and fill your vocabulary and change the way you pray. Church, I want you to know something. You can pray. You can. And Jesus has told you how to do it. He's told you there's a Father in heaven who has a good purpose for your life that will meet your needs, forgive your sins, will guide you, and will use you. So pray. Pray. Let's stand together today. Our musicians are coming. If I can pray with you, I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat and come forward to this altar. I would love to pray with you. It's kind of what I do. If I can help you in any way, I would be happy to do that. If you'd like to come and just say, Lord, my prayer life has never been great. But I want to learn to, to, to really pray the way Jesus taught. Come and let Him help you pray. How much different would your Christian life be if you really could learn how to pray the way Jesus taught? How much different would our church be if we embraced this? Maybe one of these specific areas of prayer that Jesus touches on. Maybe they've kind of convicted you about your sin or your unforgiveness or, or God's will or His provision. Whatever. I don't know. But if you need to come today, the altar is going to be open.